Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick up where I started last week and uh, try to move through these scriptures just a little bit this morning. I want to talk to you about this is that. That's that quote comes directly from the King James Version, when Peter stood in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, to explain the phenomena of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You'll remember in verses 1 through 4, it said that there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. It said that cloven tongues of fire set upon each one of them, and then they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's this that the crowds in Jerusalem heard. And it's this that they did not understand. They thought that those who were worshiping God in the unknown language of the language they actually heard in their own tongue were drunk. But Peter stood to tell them in the previous verse, verse 15, these men are not drunk as you assume. But rather, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. The King James says, this is that. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I mentioned to you last week that when you read what Peter said under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you'll notice that this outpouring, this move of God, this presence of the Holy Spirit was for every class and every person. None were omitted and none escaped that opportunity to know this great blessing of God that we now call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We look around us today and we say so often, why aren't we seeing God move in our services? Matter of fact, I look around today and I'm thinking, where is everybody? I know, both of your teams won last night, so what in the world's the problem? I'm not talking to you in the room, I'm talking to those who are sitting home watching it because they didn't get out of bed to come to church. Okay, hang on, because I'm going to blow your socks off. It tells me that your commitment to your football team may be greater than your commitment to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Maybe it's time to reexamine our hearts and determine what our priorities really are. Amen? Someone said to me, it was always on Main Street, well, your Sooners lost. I don't care. I flat don't care. I'm not even watching them anymore. Besides that, our grandson signed to play basketball with Oklahoma State, so we're changing our colors. Yeah. So I don't care. But seriously, when God is moving, as he's been moving in this place the last few Sundays, that should draw people. But what it tells me is when the presence of God becomes strong and powerful, it has a winnowing effect as well. And those whose relationship with God is based on a brief church service every now and then will not be a part of what God is wanting to do. We look around us today and we say, why doesn't God move? Well, he doesn't move because Christians aren't committed to him. We see it as a convenience rather than as an opportunity to serve a living God. 
Often people say, well, it's because liberalism has so invaded the church and progressive Christianity is taking over. And now there's disunity and factions within the church of Jesus Christ. And we've been worldly and contaminated and compromised. All of those things may be true, and they are. But even if we changed every one of them, it still wouldn't be a move of God. You see, those things are the symptoms those things are the reasons why there is no move of God. It's not the result of no move of God. They are the result of no move of God. So what, what is a move of God? What do we have to do to see what we experienced in Acts chapter 2? Simply put, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 1, a move of God is when God comes down. Isaiah wrote it this way, Oh, that you, Almighty God, would rend the heavens that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. A true move of God, encounter with him, means meeting God face to face. It means experiencing him in his glory, in his power. It means understanding him and reverencing him in an entirely new way. So many times, we especially in the Pentecostal church, well, all churches really, we're always asking God for something, aren't we? We come to him with our hand out all the time. We never stop to thank him, to praise him, to acknowledge who he really is. But a move of God requires that God come down. And if God comes down, then the words of Joel are going to be true in our lives when he said in chapter 2, we should rend our hearts and not our garments. We should let God take us apart and put us back together the way he wants us to be. And God loves to come down. More than anything, God loves to visit his people. More than anything, he wants the Shekinah to fall upon us so that we can walk out saying, man, there was nothing like I've ever experienced before. The power of God was evident in that place. God came down and dwelt among us. Our prayer should not be, give us a great worship service. Our prayer should be, God, come down and dwell among us. God, come down and rest upon us. Time and again, God has came down. When Jesus stepped out of heaven and became a baby, God came down. In Acts 2, when Holy Spirit was poured out upon the 120 in the upper room, God came down. I don't have time this morning, but I could walk you through the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament and give you example after example of God coming down. You see, and this thing is true every time. When God comes down, people change. When God comes down, people are transformed. When God comes down, sinners are saved. The sick are healed. The blind eyes are open. When God comes down, supernatural things begin to occur. But when church is just rote, when it's normal, no wonder we come when we feel like it. No wonder it's not a priority anymore in our lives. No wonder it's become something that we can take or we can leave. So here's the truth. The presence of God produces what we call revival or a move of God. Nothing else will produce a move of God. Nothing else will cause men to turn their hearts towards him. Nothing else 
will cause the sinner to flee his wicked ways and accept and receive the holiness of Jesus Christ. It's only the presence of God. Nothing else will do. And I'm just foolish enough to believe that yet today, we still serve the God who answers by fire. I'm praying for the God of Elijah to fall in this room this morning, to come down upon us, to purge us and to cleanse us, to renew us and to remake us, and to cause us to be the men and women of God he wants us to be. In fact, I'm just silly enough to believe that today, we should experience a greater aspect of God's presence than at any time in the past. More than on the day of Pentecost, today we should experience a greater outpouring of his presence. Why? Because the time is growing short. The day is late. The hour is upon us when Jesus could return. We're living in the last days. And Christian, I say to you this morning, this is not the time to slow down. It's the time to put the pedal to the metal, to do more than you've ever done before, to pray more, to give more, to believe more, to encourage more, to be a part of what God is doing. And if you and I, listen, if you and I won't do it, he'll find somebody who will. He'll find somebody who will. We need to come to the place where we understand Christ is calling me to a higher passion, a deeper burden, a greater longing to know him and to lead others to him. Today, he should be driving us into the highways and the hedges to compel them to come in. But instead, we're so tired because that ball game wasn't over until midnight last night. And I just can't get up and go to church. Shame on you. God, forgive us for our lackadaisical spirit. God, forgive us for treating you somewhere lower than our entertainment. God, forgive us. You see, in order to have a move of God, we have to be praying faith-filled prayers. To live in this is that, we must pray as never before. What were the disciples doing when they waited in Jerusalem for 10 days? Well, I think they were praying. I think they were worshiping. I think they were talking about all the things that Jesus had done and said. They were waiting without a clue of what they were to expect. They didn't know what was going to happen when the Father sent the promise of the Holy Spirit. This was new territory, foreign ground. The plow had never been turned here. They had no idea. No one previously had ever experienced an outpouring of Holy Spirit. So they had no scriptural context. They only had the words of Jesus Christ telling them who he was and what he would do for them. But they had no idea what to expect. All they were doing was praying for the promise of the Father. Listen to me. Could it be we don't have a move of God because we don't pray for a move of God? Could it be we don't see God do mighty things because we're content with what he's done right now? I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. My family's secure in him. I don't need to worry about anybody else. Forget the billions that are lost and dying and going to a devil's hell. We don't even think about it. God, forgive us. God forgive us. They had no idea what to expect when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Amy, I challenge you, tomorrow night, scrap all those prayer points and pray for a move of God. 
Join us tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, right here, and pray for a move of God. Listen, we'll never see God do anything until we get serious about prayer. Until we determine that prayer is more important than Monday night football. I don't care. You know that, right? I'm going to speak the truth to you every time I'm here. And if you don't like it, too bad. But I pray Holy Spirit convicts us of having improper priorities and putting God somewhere way down our list. That's not where he wants to be. We have got to learn to pray with passion as the scripture records prayers. You can read the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. The previous verse, verse 9 says, And his mother bore him in pain, and she called him Jabez. The literal translation of bore him in pain means he will cause pain. It's a literal translation from the Hebrew. But Jabez dared to call upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. That means bless me and bless me and bless me some more. Enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. Why did he say that? Because it was in his heritage, in his lineage, that he was going to be one who causes pain. And he said, Lord, my name may be Jabez, but I'm asking you to change my character so that my name doesn't reflect who I really am. Somebody in this place needs to hear it. It's time to change your character so that all the past that is behind you doesn't reflect who you are in Jesus Christ. Pray an impassioned prayer. Keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. You know what it says? So God granted him his request. Oh, come on, folks. It's time to make big requests, big asks, so God can grant them. He's not afraid of your big problems. He's not afraid of your big circumstances. But rather, he's the God who can overcome those when we give them to him. It's time to pray some impassioned prayers. I mentioned it earlier, but let me flesh it out a little bit. First Kings chapter 18. Elijah was the prophet in Israel. Ahab was the king. Jezebel was the queen. Three years there had been a drought, no rain, because Elijah said, this is what's going to happen if you don't turn back to God. But in the stubbornness, idolatry, and iniquity of Israel, they refused to turn back to God. So there's a three-year drought over the land. And then... Ahab came looking for him, and he called him, you troubler of Israel. You know what Elijah said? I'm not the problem, dude. You're the problem. It's time to call sin, sin. It's time to stop pussyfooting around and acting like everybody's okay. Listen, folks, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and it's up to the church to stand up and call sin, sin. You say, well, they may not like me. Who cares? You may not like me, but I don't seem to care. See, it's not about a popularity contest. It's about men and women making it into heaven, escaping a devil's hell, coming to know the Lord and Savior, coming to know the one who loves them and die for them. How are they going to know that if we keep our mouth shut all the time? Well, I don't want to rock the boat. You're called to rock the boat. The gospel is confrontational. The gospel doesn't make you feel good. It's not all warm and fuzzy. It says you're a sinner. You're lost. You're going to devil's hell. And there's only one way out. And that is Jesus Christ. See, it's time for the church to say, it's not about many roads to God. There's one road to God. 
And I know your family, I know your friends, I know your coworkers, I know those you go to school with, and those who teach you say otherwise. In those instances and circumstances, you need to pray for courage and boldness and opportunity and anointing so that when the opportunity swings open, you speak words of life. You don't cower down and apologize for being a spirit-filled believer. But the power of the Holy Spirit should flow through your life in such a way that you stand up and say, listen, there is a right and there is a wrong and there is a way whose name is Jesus. He's the only way. Listen, I didn't plan to say any of this, but I need to. It's not Jesus and. Too many people are doing Jesus and. Oh, I do Christian yoga. Really? Do you know the origins of that? It's Hinduism. Every pose reflects a God of Hinduism. You don't believe me? Talk to Nick. He's right back there. He and Shabna were born and raised in India. They can tell you all about Hinduism and the 50,000 plus gods of Hinduism. And that reflects one in each pose. Why are you doing that? Why would a believer knowingly and willingly join his life to demonic forces? And it doesn't stop there. What about the crystals that are so powerful? Are you kidding me? That's straight from the pit of hell. Well, I have to read my horoscope every morning. Good luck with that. You'd do a lot better if you read the word every morning and throw the horoscope out the door because its origins are the pit of hell. Well, we try to mix all this Eastern mysticism in with Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be homogenized. He doesn't need to be watered down. He's strong and powerful, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if you will stop putting it Jesus and, your life will be changed. Well, that doesn't wash with our culture. That doesn't wash with our politics. Then change your politics. Love the way you're shouting now. Listen, as a believer, we have a responsibility to pray for our leaders, to be involved in elections, but we should vote for people who as closely resemble the Word of God as we can find. I'm just going to say it. Half of you may leave and never come back. Stop voting for people who are in favor of aborting babies. Stop it. I, I don't even understand how that's possible. That's my candidate. Well, he believes in abortion up to the point of birth. How can that be your candidate? The scripture, the Bible, Jesus, it's all about life and letting us escape inevitable death through his life. Wake up, folks. Wake up, folks. Recognize it's not about a party, it's about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me say this, you'll find unrighteous people on both sides of the aisle. Stop voting for them regardless of their party and find the folks who will most closely follow the Word of God. Sometimes we don't have a move of God because we no longer have to offer what the New Testament church had to offer. Acts chapter 3, 
The Bible says, and, and understand this didn't like happen the next day, a period of time has elapsed from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 3. Because they're in Jerusalem, they're worshiping, they're going from house to house, they're going to the temple daily in prayers and in teaching. And in Acts chapter 3, it says Peter and John are on the way to the temple to pray. And they passed the gate beautiful or entered through the gate beautiful. And a lame man was set there by his family. He was always there every single day. And he looked at them hoping to get something from them, an offering, something to buy his daily bread. And what did Peter say? He said, look on us. In other words, look at me. And he said, silver and gold, we don't have. If you're looking for money, you're out of luck. But what we have, we're going to give you today in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He lifted him by the hand. His feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Oh, somebody hear me. Could it be we don't see God move? Because we don't have what the New Testament church had. Because we have... Try not to go all oaky on you here. Because we have intentionally walked away from the power of the Holy Spirit. We have come to a place in our lives when that's no longer in fashion or vogue. We've come to a place where people don't accept that. Could it be we don't see God move because we don't have what they had? Could it be we don't see God move because our conduct, our behavior, our lifestyles, or know what God approves and anoints. Romans chapter 13, Paul said it this way in verses 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time that's now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and the lust thereof. Could it be because we're not doing that? Could it be? Realize that every single moment of every single day, the devil is snatching souls into hell. And there's no escape. There's no do-overs. It's final. It's done when that happens and when that occurs. Could it be that we don't see God move because we have forgotten Matthew chapter 16, where it said in verses 18 and 19, I give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Could it be because we no longer believe we have power and authority to do things in Jesus' name? I love that song, in Jesus' name, because it declares what we need to do, and that's walk in the authority, walk in the power that Christ has invested in us through the Holy Spirit. And when we do, we will see those mighty works. But until we do, we won't. Could it be that we're afraid of a genuine move of God? Could it be that we don't want to be called crazy, holy rollers, fanatics, extremists? Could it be that we don't want our family or our friends to think poorly of us because we talk to them about what God has done? 
few moments ago during the worship service, a young man was slain in the spirit. I could almost hear some of you thinking, what did you do to him? I didn't do anything. I just said, fill him with the Holy Ghost and he fell down. We're afraid of what God might do. The first church I pastored, matter of fact, Yvonne and I have the pleasure of going back there next week and preaching next Sunday morning there. I'll never forget seven years of revival. One of those first services, a lady I'd never seen her in my life. She was probably, well, at that time, I thought she was really old. She was probably 65. But anyway, that's the way it goes. <laughs> never seen her before. She just came to church. There was an altar call. Tons of people responded. She was like in the fourth row back. I'll never forget when I laid my hands on her head. That's all I did was touch her forehead. She fell down like a stone, hit her head against the arm of one of those wooden pews. It sounded like a shotgun going off in that place. And I thought, oh my God, she's dead and I'm going to jail. <laughs> Just kept going. Kept praying. I didn't touch her. I didn't talk to her. Just keep going. See, here's the thing. If it's of God, no harm occurs. If it's of the flesh, something bad may happen. She was probably down for 30. I got to tell you this. When the Holy Ghost puts you down, he does for a reason. And it's not a two-minute drill. He's doing it to do something deep in your heart and your spirit. If you see him or you have him put you down, it's not so you can pop back up 30 seconds later and start dancing. He wants to do something deep in your heart. And he's going to keep you there until it's done. She was probably down 30 or 40 minutes. By that time, I prayed for everybody, and I'm just watching. We're singing and worshiping. She pops up like she's 22 years old, started dancing a jig. I'm looking at her. She never touched the back of her head. She had no idea that had happened. She was completely unharmed because when God does something, he doesn't hurt you. So what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? We need to move past our fears and let God move within us. Let God move upon us. In order to see God move, we have to recognize his sovereignty. Isaiah 64, 8, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Listen to me. He isn't the guy we give order to, orders to and he does what we say. No, he's our father. He is God of the universe. He is the creator of all that is and was and is to come. He deserves reverence. He deserves recognition. He deserves for us to acknowledge his sovereignty. In other words, you know what Isaiah said? You can do with me whatever you want to do with me. You can make me into whatever you want me to be. It isn't my call, it's your call. You do what you desire. Tom, will you come back? Secondly, we need to remember God's mercy. In Acts chapter 2, it says that after Peter preached, they said, what must we do? And he said, repent. And 3,000 people received the mercy of God on that day. And when you read the rest of the chapter, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Mercy continued to flow. 174 times in Scripture, the word mercy is used to describe God. That's an amazing thing. Do you deserve salvation? No, you don't. Do I? No, I don't. But because of His mercy, He has saved us. Because of His mercy, He has transformed us. He, would much, he wants to receive mercy. Listen, God would rather forgive sin than judge sin. We get it backwards. 
We're always talking about judgment. No, his heart is to forgive, to cleanse, to renew, to restore. Judgment only comes as a result of a stiff-necked people who refuse to bow to his authority. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 3, 9. For God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He had rather forgive sin than to judge sin. See, this is a move of God when God comes down, when God confronts us, when God challenges us, when God reaches deep inside of us, when he enables us through the power of Holy Spirit to bring change into our hearts and into our lives and we begin to obey him. Stand your feet with me. This is what a move of God looks like. This is when we know we're living and this is that. We purge ourselves of the weights, the sins, the enslaving habits that keep us from knowing God in his fullness. We surrender our will to his will. We lose our lives. We die to live. We give to gain. We lose to find. We present our life and our body a living sacrifice. And then we say, God, whatever you want me to do, sign me up. I'm here to work for you. I'm here to expand your kingdom. I'm available whatever you choose for me to do. See, a move of God, it's another chance. It's not a second chance. Most of us had so many of those, we've lost count. It's another opportunity to partner with God and see Him do something mighty in our lives. My question to you today is, do we need a move of God? Do you need a move of God in your personal life? Do you need a move of God in your home? Do you need a move of God in this church? I'll say definitely, I do. How do we know when we need a move of God? When there's only fighting and squabbling and quarreling in our family, we need a move of God. When we can't forgive and forget, we need a move of God. When there's no spiritual growth, we're the same as we were a year ago, we need a move of God. When there's no concern for the lost and the dying, we need a move of God. And lastly, when there's no tears in the altar, we need a move of God. Elders and deacons, come now, please. As these are coming, we're prepared to pray for you this morning, every one of you in this house, regardless of the need you might have. We're gonna believe God with you and for you and believe God to meet you in this place. And, and when these elders and deacons begin to pray for you, when they lay their hand on your shoulder or on your head, your faith level needs to rise because in a moment of time, God is going to heal, He's going to forgive, He's going to set you free and liberate you from the habits that have enslaved you. He's gonna fill you with the Holy Ghost in a moment of time. So when you respond this morning, you are responding for the supernatural to be activated and at work in your life. Right now, this is it. No heads bowed, eyes are closed. Right now you're in this place and you need something from God. You need a healing. You need to be forgiven. You need to be restored. You need hope. 
you need help. It doesn't matter what the need is. You have something you need from God. All right, let me pause a minute. Every one of us should be stepping out because every one of us need more of Him. Every one of us need to experience Him in a deeper and a greater way. Every person in this room should be running to this altar saying, that's me. I need God to move in my life. Step out and come right now. Tom's going to begin to sing. You need something from God in your life? Come right now. He's going to meet you. He's going to flow through you. I'm going to walk by and I'm going to anoint you with oil. And the elders and deacons are going to pray over you. And as they pray over you, God is going to do a mighty work. Come on. Let your faith level rise right now. Believe that he is able to do the impossible in you, through you, for you in this moment of time. If everyone has someone in front of them praying, then just stand in line behind them and they will get to you in just a moment. We want to pray for everybody who has a need and desires the supernatural power of God to work in their life today. Step out and come right now. You made it to the end of the message and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 1030 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.